Hey everyone, and welcome to another 90 Minute Book Show. It's Stuart here with Susan Austin. Susan, how's it going? Hi Stuart, fabulous, glad to be here. So this time, I think we're going to build on where we left off last time. So in last week's show, we were talking about using the or the importance of a, a book as a lead generation tool rather than an authority piece or a product in its own right that we're going to sell. So I think today we're going to dive into a little more of the the funnel and where a book is best positioned in a, in a sales funnel. Yeah. So last week you were talking about how... Um, you know, when you meet someone at a, for the first time, you don't walk up to them and say, hey, I like you. You want to go back to my place that <laughs> it's just you just don't. That's just not how it's done. And it's the same thing with sales, where some sales, some websites, Stuart, are set up to be just that way. They have a landing page and then they go right into their pitch. And what we're proposing here is that the 90 minute book is that phase where you stop and get their phone number and maybe get to know them a little bit. They get to know you a little bit. And then you ask them out on another date. You're not just going right for the, you know, right for the sale, if you will, right when they clicked on your website. And we see a lot of websites that are set up that way, but a book can actually interrupt that and actually be that nice introduction. Say more about that store. What does the book get the 90 minute book, which is a lead generation book, what does that get them that will allow them to convert better on their websites? I think you hit the nail on the head. So we're in a situation where a lot of people spend time and attention thinking about the copy on the sales page. And a lot of them will think about the, the call to action. But very often you see that call to action is too close to the to the end product. It's too big a step. Now, I guess it's worth caveating here with the age-old answer of, of it depends so there may well be circumstances if you've got a very engaged audience uh so with the 90 minute book as an example we do have sales funnels, sales funnels in place where it is literally just uh, a few details on the page and then there's the close because we're marking that to a known audience this is we talked last week about invisible prospects and how a book is a great way of identifying those invisible prospects it may well be the case that if you're just dealing with a known audience then the shortest path to a sale may, might be the way that uh, might be the one that works best. But what we're talking about in terms of lead generation is much more about building that audience, starting a sense of reciprocity, uh, helping someone to get to know you, and then eventually like and trust you in order to make a sale. So rather than having a a ad uh, a direct response ad or a an adwords ad that leads to a sales page that is just a closing straight away imagine the scenario where you were separating out those two stages separating out the lead collection of people who are broadly interested in what you're offering from those that are ready and willing to make a sale now so thinking of them like in the eight profit activators the um we'll put it in the show notes again but the the eight profit activators model talking about uh identifying single target market so you know who you're talking to allowing people uh, a way to raise their hand an easy non-committal way of raising the hand as being interested and then going on to to sift and sort those leads into people who might be willing to buy now by educating and motivating them towards that sale the book is a great way of that first stage like the example you said, go into a bar and it would be great if you had some x-ray specs where uh, a red light would come on above the heads of everyone who might be interested in in you. 
and then you can discount everyone else and just focus your effort on those people who have expressed an interest and the book's a good way of doing that first step it's an awesome way of doing that first step because it allows them and especially and we'll talk about this on another show that because these books are smaller in nature they are very appealing and very attractive to these people, right? We're not handing them a 300-page manual on their subject. We're just handing them a very thin or downloading a very thin book that is very accessible, that they can read quickly and get, say, ah, this is exactly what I was looking for. I'm going to call him up, you know? So let, let's, can I give an example of someone? Let's talk about this in the real world. So Mel Clemens is one of our authors, and he wrote a book called Creating Millionaires. So Mel wrote a book. He helps insurance agencies, insurance agents sell their insurance agency for maximum value when they're ready to retire and, and, and move on. And that's a pretty big step going from shaking someone's hand to, hey, I want to sell your insurance agency. That's a pretty big leap there. Right. And and sure, maybe he'll come across the one or two that just happen to be ready. But for the most part, people think about this pretty far in advance and they may not be ready to sell this week, this year, this, you know what I mean? In this decade. But yeah. so right by writing this book and telling them all the ways they need to prepare their practice, their agency to, to get ready to sell, they've now got a friend in Mel because he's giving them what they need to do, how they need to set their agency up for maximum value and all the steps they need to do. And more than likely they won't be able to do all those steps without Mel's help. So that book is that icebreaker where they see that he's the guy they need to speak to. So they he can he's doing he goes around to insurance conventions now with his book and either does a talk and then that's in the back of the book, back of the room or he'll you know uh, set up a booth and talk to the agents one on one. It just all depends. Um and I'd like to get Mel on a future show because he just is doing his first show next week, Stuart. So let's make note to get Mel on here. But yeah, let's That's one way to use the book you can see where it's kind of like the book does a lot of the heavy lifting lifting for Mel. He doesn't have to explain as much. It's kind of like he can now just talk to them about their agency and kind of dive into it with them. Kind of like Dean, if he meets someone and they know about the 90 minute book, I assume he can say, well, what book are you interested in writing? Rather than having Dean to sell them on the book, it kind of like all of that gets pushed to the side and they get right to the meat of the topic. It pre-qualifies people. And that's this uh, technique of revealing invisible prospects, the known audience that you've got, you can engage in them in a separate way. And I mean, you might have a different book specifically targeting that audience because by picking a single target market, you know that the conversation with those guys is separate to the conversation with people who don't know you at all. They're positioned and pitched at different types of people. But that idea of creating something that gives value, of starting a relationship, I think it's a very old way of thinking to think that the knowledge that you've got as the expert in the field is in any way proprietary or is uh, is the magic in its own right. Now, that is a bit of a glib thing to say, because certainly there are cases where companies have a strategic advantage through some proprietary thinking and model, but that really is the, is the core, it's the center, it's the highest value piece. Stepping away from there, going down a level into the more, um, the more basic questions or the more commonly known uh, facts or the more starter questions you as an industry expert 
especially if you've been in business for any amount of time. I mean, you create a 90-minute book that was absolutely hit the mark for a single target audience by just trawling through, go to the, your service desk and get them to pull the records on what have been the commonly asked, the FAQ, the commonly asked type questions to the service desk for the last year. Uh, bring all of those together, categorize them, choose the most valuable target audience of which the answer to these questions are relevant, and then just record a book answering the top five of those questions. You can imagine then your very specific audience have been desperately seeking this information because they've gone to the effort of phoning up the service desk to ask, um, or the sales team, ask the sales team what's the common questions that they get as they're approaching people. And by recording a book, positioning yourself as the expert in the field and answering those questions, fantastic icebreaker. How, how, how much value would that provide to people without giving away the trade secrets? This information is just the, the probably the intro level type, uh, type question that people are asking. Uh, you, immediately you're starting off the relationship with this new prospect by giving them something of value, something that's answering their questions. It's a non-committal way of people raising their hand. It's not as if you're saying, come into our office for a meeting and then they've got fears of the door slamming behind them and not being able to get out of the, the room until they've signed a piece of paper. As a mechanism for identifying invisible prospects and starting a conversation with them in the best possible way, and there's no greater greater tool than than the book because it uh it carries some authority with it and some of the issues that we were or some of the benefits rather we were talking about last week um but more than anything else it it delivers value and i think if people can get past this this fear that i don't want to give away all my secrets in the in the book um and equally on the flip side actually having a conversation with someone uh, a couple of weeks ago saying um they were struggling to identify what the the, the message could be that they were getting a little too technical, to be honest. So we were trying to pull it back a level and just make it a little bit more um, easier for people to access. Um, and the concern then was it was, well, it was too, too lightweight. There's not enough information on it. But again, we started to look into some of the facts and the questions that were being asked at the service desk or the sales let team level Um it's easy for people who are in the business to forget how valuable the basic questions are for someone that's just looking, beginning to look at the service. Um, so on both sides of the coin, don't be worried about giving too much away and don't be worried about it being too basic. As long as you can clearly articulate that single target market and what the benefit of the information is that you're providing, two fantastic ways of, of seeing that at the beginning of, of a funnel. You know, it's funny because Dean talks a lot about the 80% rule, which, um, of course, comes from Dan Sullivan, where we talk about, you know, 80% is um, eighty percent effort is enough. In other words, don't spend that last. You can go back and perfect things. But the reason I'm bringing this up is Dean likes to say that just having the book Literally, it's almost like you could put the cover on a bunch of blank pages and the value is still there. You know, you've got the back cover call to action in the front and, you know, not everyone's going to read your book, even if they do raise their hand and say they're interested in it. And I mean, how many books I can look around that I've either purchased or were given to me that I never have gotten around to read it them. But the v- value is in having the book. And so your point about not worrying, I like the books, Dean, to, or sorry, Stuart, to be more why based rather than the how based because 
you know, almost like why you should write a book, not so much the technical aspects of how to write a book. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I think it kind of, so we were talking today about the funnel overall, and it's easy to get kind of stuck at that very top, uh, top section. But when you look at the funnel overall, at the very, or just outside the very top of the funnel, you've got everyone who, the rest of the planet, everyone who's not interested in what you're talking about and then at the very very top of the funnel you've got those group of people who are in the broadest sense interested in what you're doing and then as you work your way down the funnel the questions get more specific uh, the the technical level of detail will get greater as the as everyone's understanding increases um at the same time, hopefully the the relationship equity builds because you've been delivering value to these people all before that stage. But the top of the funnel elements, which is what really we're talking about, uh, particularly today, if not in the books in general, is these are people at the top of the funnel. One stage before that, you've got the rest of the planet that doesn't care. So the thing that gets people engaged in the first place is the is the promise of a better outcome um i was just listening to one of the of marketing podcasts before and joe was talking again about the the marketing definition that that dan sullivan had come up with uh, so dan for people who don't recognize the name is started strategic coach one of the world's biggest coaching organizations for entrepreneurs um we've got a habit of saying people's names here it's even everyone knows what we're talking about but i guess Sorry it's good to put that. some context <laughs> no, that's, I do as well. that's um, joe polish that you were just mentioning go ahead right <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, so the definition there with marketing was getting someone, I'm going to butcher this slightly, but it was getting someone emotionally engaged in a outcome that's going to benefit them at a later date. So when we think of the top of the funnel engagement, it is just talking about getting someone emotionally engaged in a beneficial outcome somewhere further down the track. So the fun somewhere further down the track is towards the bottom of the funnel. The proving the benefit for them to them is as you move down the funnel but that top piece the top of the section the way to get people to raise their hands as broadly interested to reveal themselves as making the invisible prospects visible is just by talking about an emotional outcome that will give them benefit further down the track so that's definitely a lot more about the story rather than the technicalities um I guess it's worth just a quick caveat then of saying, okay, well, it may well be the case that you want to write a 90-minute book, a short, concise book dealing with a specific point that is further down the funnel. So you could have a book that was engaging people much more, much closer to the sale at the bottom. So the technical language, the types of questions that they might be asking there may well be more technical, but that's the context is different. So what's the job of work of the book? The job of work of that later book is to maybe push someone over the edge on a conversion. It's not to, it's not lead generation. It's not to identify invisible prospects. It, the job of work of it is slightly different. Therefore the whole context is slightly different. Again, what we're talking about is the best lead generation tool and that lead generation piece is best suited not always, but often at the very top of the funnel. And the top of the funnel is more about stories and the promise of a better outcome rather than technicalities or formulas. Very, very well said, Ed Stewart. And let's go back to Mel, Mel's book again, Creating Millionaires. I mean, so I would imagine that 
I don't even know if Mel understands the power of the book that he has in his hand yet. In other words, because he's, I think, ordering the physical copies of book, let's switch gears and talk about the electronic version. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that if, because we give out as part of the process, a landing page for their uh, potential uh, readers to download a copy of the book from. And so if Mel was to start using that book, I just want to, you know, he hands the book at someone that he meets at a show. They may or may not ever reach out and Mel never has a way of reaching out to them. But how powerful would it be to Mel's business if over the next three to five years, he got he able to get this landing page, get traffic to it by doing some, maybe some small ads on Facebook or some other search engine optimization type leads and get um, 2,500 people, let's just say, that have downloaded his book and raised their hand. And some of those people may actually be, Stuart, not just interested in selling their business right now, but maybe they're interested in buying some businesses. And so how important it could be and how cool it could be. Now he's got this database where the real value is in having to being able to reach these people after they've downloaded the book and continue the conversation. So let's say he did have uh, a particular agency coming up for sale and he could post that like and advertise it to the list. And maybe someone is wants to expand their business and he becomes the kind of that go-to guy for both finding buyers and finding sellers. So as opposed to just someone that, you know, only can list the sale, I already have the buyers or I have a database of 10,000 potential buyers. I mean, that's pretty powerful. That's competitive advantage of information is, um, it's, like you say, it's it's immeasurable on what the potential of that is. So there's a couple of examples that spring to mind, and it's sometimes recording the show feels a bit like a Quentin Tarantino movie because in in our mind, all of the plot is before us and all of the connecting parts make sense. But as you're watching the film reveal itself, there's a series of random scenes that hopefully at some point will join together. So it's very difficult trying to keep on one subject because all of the subjects overlap. Um, but hopefully as people are listening to the show, then more of these individual scenes are coming together and helping create a bigger picture. But you hit the nail on the head. The book as a lead generation tool, the job of work of that tool is to collect leads. It's not to sift and sort. It's not to make a sale. It's not to give authority or credibility, although it, to a certain degree it does all of those things. But the job is to collect leads. Then secondary to that, you've got the opportunity to sift and sort and categorize and do the market making piece that you talked about. Um, a couple of examples that spring to mind are uh, talking about the value of the data as a whole. Um, there was a guy who and this is going back 30, 35 years, a guy who wrote a newsletter, and some of the details are going to get lost, but broadly speaking, guy writes a newsletter about, I think it was Porsches, classic Porsches. Um, he was going around to a number of different shows, was able to write a newsletter every month just talking about uh, what was happening in the shows, what was being bought, what was being sold. Uh, eventually creates a subscriber list for this the value of the subscribe list builds over time, which in and of itself is good. He was able to charge more and more for subscriptions because he came more, became more and more the authority. But one of the side elements of it that I think perhaps wasn't thought about to begin with is that over time, his list of people and all of the cars that they owned and what was being bought and what was being sold, he was able to catalog that data into the most definitive 
source of Porsche engine parts that were brought and sold uh, across the whole of Europe. So the kind of side benefit of data gathering, especially once you've been in the game long enough, so you've got a significant source of data, that is a very big competitive advantage compared with someone else. So another example of that is the, I forget the name of the guys, uh, Dean's talked about it before, um, we were using it as an example in one of the other mastermind groups, uh, but they were, I think they were a direct marketing company and they'd compiled a list of people within a particular area. Uh, I think the stories are related to Mormons. There was a, uh, the register of marriages and deaths within the Mormon church was collated by these guys to pull together a demographic element that they couldn't get from anywhere else. So it took them a long time. I think a lot of it was manually coded. They employed people to go through these registers and catalog the details. Uh, but eventually that business was sold to Ancestry, the um, the genealogy website, because there was a huge data set that no one else had access to that became hugely valuable in a way that perhaps wasn't expected to begin with. So not to say that the that you would go into it for that purpose, but sticking with Mel's example, his volume of business is relatively low, uh, but high value clients. So the number of people that he's looking to convert is pretty low, but you can imagine writing the book that talks about selling your agency for a substantial profit. The people who are going to request that book are the people who are in the, that world. It's 100% of the targeted community. Now, not 100% of them are ever going to do business with him. Not 100% of them are going to be interested in the service that he provides. But 100% of the people that do convert would be interested in that subject, whether they came from that source or not. So it's really this concept of the job of work of a lead generation book is to generate leads. It's not to sift and sort or categorize. But the benefit of collecting those leads in some sort of system and the best way of doing that is to offer them a digital version of the book rather than a physical version of the book um follow up with them after the fact in a way to uh, elicit more details from them ask them more questions provide more value that secondary benefit of having this substantial database potentially allows you to become a market maker so you identify both the sellers and the buyers of businesses um, it's a substantial difference compared with just trying to offer something and make a sale or offer something and go to, um, uh, sorry, offer something physical and, and not go to the effort of collecting leads. Uh, one show that we will do in the not too distant future is how people can use physical books though. So what the space, because there is a, a job to be done by physical books as well. Absolutely. And let me ask you this, Stuart. Do you think it would be possible for those that don't know what the sales funnel would look like for both the digital or potential sales funnel for both the digital and physical copies of the book? Any chance we can have you whip up a sort of sort of kind of infographic that kind of diagrams this for them? I know I'm putting yeah. you on the spot, but yeah, I think that no, would be cool okay. because I think the books are so powerful in both you know, both in the physical copy and in the, um, so, and I think a lot of times authors are going one way or the other. I've had some authors say, I, I never need a physical copy of this book. I just want the digital. And some that just say, why would I need a digital? I want the hard copy. So it's, it's kind of interesting. And I think it depends to a certain degree. 
the real answer to that is it depends on the job of work. So if someone actually sits down and thinks about what am I trying to achieve with this, then one answer versus the other might be the better way of going. I think all too often though, people just default to what their natural preferences uh, or they just kind of go down one route without necessarily thinking about how it fits into a bigger picture. Um, yeah, in terms of um, putting some stuff on the podcast sites in the show notes for this episode which is uh what's this 003 um we'll put some notes in the show notes um because i know myself i'm just going to draw that on a piece of paper and scan it so that there's definitely something there and at some point we might replace it with something a little bit better looking um and we'll probably put that on the main website as well the 90 minute books website um but we'll definitely get something to give it some visual context for people very good. And I believe we'll be bringing in authors that will have maybe their own approach to how they're using the book that will share, shed some lights, because some of these guys may be doing things with the book that we're not even aware of. So that'll be exciting, too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that um, the real life examples, I think, always give it a little bit more. Well, either they're more interesting than the hypothetical ones. Uh, but as you say, it reveals some nuances and differences to the campaigns that don't necessarily come about when you're just talking about it. And that's a good example of, of anyone out there. Once you've got a lead generation tool, a book created, it's then far more straightforward to test various campaigns. So today we're talking about the, how, where a book fits in the funnel. And we've, so we've identified already that it sits in this context, it sits at the top of the funnel. It helps us identify invisible prospects by allowing someone to request a book that's interesting. Uh, it's, it's valuable for the thing that they're, they're looking for. But the funnel below that then has a number of different stages. And there could be a number of different ways people get into the funnel at the top. So the book might be uh, it might be one book, but you might have three or four different ways that you can position that book to be of value to someone. Um, so by testing the ways that people come into the funnel and then what the next step is, one tool, one book, one cookie to get someone to raise their hand can be used in multiple different funnels, especially when we talk about the digital ones rather than the physical ones because the cost of delivery is low. So therefore you can really tailor an individual campaign for an individual message. So I think that should be something that people shouldn't be afraid of doing either. We quite often talk to people about, okay, you've got your book now. Here's one example of how you can, you can use it. We'll, we'll write some landing page copy for one example, but it's very easy to put a second example up and start split testing, which, which one is the more popular um, based on that one cookie that people have created. Well, and if you, I mean, you can go to 90minutebook.com and see how Dean set up his landing page for the 90 Minute Book. And, and you know, thousands of people have raised their hand and said they're interested in writing the book. Now, of course, thousands haven't written their book yet, but that database of people that Dean's collecting is extremely valuable. And as you said, grows over time. And he can communicate with them. He can invite them. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, that's who's going to we're sending this podcast list to am i wrong no exactly so we're taking that list of people to uh who have expressed an interest in writing a lead generation book and now we're sending them a podcast that talks about how to better 
get better results from that book they've written. So in terms of a target audience and leveraging a list that's been built by allowing people to raise their hand because they're broadly interested in the subject. Now, we don't know what the numbers are. There might be 90% of people might listen to the podcast, 10% of people might listen to the podcast, but the 10% that listen, we've put no additional effort into collecting the other 90%, and that remaining 90% might be interested in something else that we put out later on. So again, it goes back to this point that we were talking about before. Think of the funnel as various separate stages the book at the top of the funnel, its job of work is to collect leads. Its job isn't to sift and sort. It isn't to motivate or or compel people to to do something um, outside of the context of the next the next step, the call to action. Um, but the main job of work is to collect those leads. Once you've got the leads collected, then you can start communicating with them, elicit more information from people to categorize and sift and sort people uh we've got a few other mastermind groups going on one of them we were talking to uh a couple of weeks ago we had uh i was talking to one chap who is a um i don't want to say motivational speaker but he uh works a lot with other coaches business coaches and uh and physical coaches to how to better improve their business and uh, another guy was on the same call a real estate agent and we were talking to we were talking i was talking to both of them about segmenting their existing lists now they've got lists that have come in from various different places but for each of them they've got flags identifiers and they've got ways of asking them questions to get more information out of them so it was very much a case of collect the leads on the one hand and then sift and sort them in the next stage now it's always better to do stage one knowing what stage two is can always remember there was a south park cartoon from from years ago where um underpants keep getting stolen from the boys bedroom so they underpants gnomes are stealing the the underpants so they go down into the secret layer and up on the wall it's got stage one steal underpants stage three profit and then there's a big question mark on what stage two is, um, <laughs> which is kind of premise of the joke. So it's almost like build it and they will come type thing. Still underpants and then we'll get profit, but no one knows how. So <laughs> again, we've talked a little bit about collecting leads and then doing something with them. So it's always nice if you've got stage two in mind. But worst case scenario, think of the job of work as a book as collecting leads of people who are broadly interested in what you're selling, what your service is, and then worst case scenario you can fill in stage two afterwards because you've collected those details um but the job of work of the book is to be as engaging as possible help invisible prospects raise their hands and then the funnel after you've collect after you've collected those leads then you can sort start sifting and sorting categorizing them making offers in different ways and really adding value i think we're the, the time's getting on it yep, to keep yep. Together, um but let's make point, a note yeah, let's make a note, Stuart, that we'll want to do a call at some future point about sifting and sorting because I think we need yeah. to be more explicit about that. But go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that the we were talking about the funnel and we spent quite a lot of time establishing why the top of the funnel is so important. But just quickly before we finish, talk about the next couple of stages. And really, the next couple of stages are going to vary for everyone. So we talked in an earlier show about this minimum viable commitment idea of just taking someone one step at a time from the next level to the next level. And then as people are identifying themselves as interested, 
then you're slowly identifying a hotter and hotter prospect. And you could have this system set up whereby the first three or four things that you offer someone are entirely automatic. And then you only get an alert when they request the fourth thing, because that way you know you're only putting some manual effort into dealing with hotter prospects. So to tap it back into the book, we often get people who will record and, and write a target concise book that's to identify an audience and then they want to take it and add in a whole load of extra additional information instead of doing that taking the additional information and putting it in as steps in the funnel so let's say you've got uh you speak from stage about uh, a particular subject you identify the subset of those people who are you want to write a book to target but then you're tempted to add in all of the additional information to bolster the book up well rather than doing that and we'll talk about the benefits of a shorter versus a longer book in a later episode but as far as the funnel goes rather than dumping it all in the book why not have an autoresponder sequence of those six things that you wanted to include have six emails that go out to people over the next two weeks so separate them out every couple of days then you've got someone to raise their hand because they're interested in the subject. So that's, you've given them the first thing. And then you've got the opportunity of giving them six further increasingly valuable pieces of information rather than just having one shot of uh, shot of appreciation. You've now got seven shots of appreciation at the close of each of those six emails. You've got the opportunity to include a, a message in there, a sales message or a message to take the next step. So that's seven opportunities to, compel someone to take the next step rather than just one opportunity at the end of the seventh piece of information so the book and the six follow-ups that person has now been received from you seven things that are entirely valuable and useful to the subject that they were interested in so this kind of minimum viable commitment step not overdoing it all at once and uh, the fact that each time you communicate with someone, it's almost like the Trojan horse of delivering something valuable, something interesting, but then concealed within that is the message that you want to convey. I think that funnel-based approach, so job one, collect the leads, job two, then take them through a funnel, uh, and we can elaborate on sifting and sorting in a future episode as well. But that is much more valuable than delivering too much in the first book, as long as it's compelling enough to support the original premise the original premise is here's a book on uh on creating millionaires how to sell your uh agency for 50 percent more than you might think it's worth i'm not sure if that's his supplement maximum value right maximum values yes thank you that yeah. sounds much better. um so as long as the content within the book is enough to support that premise, it's not the case that we need to over-deliver absolutely everything, but stage it through a funnel and have a little bit more of a bigger picture, uh, bigger picture approach uh, to communicate with those guys, uh, the potential customers, build rapport with them, build reciprocity with them, a sense of reciprocity. And that's uh, as far as a funnel goes so where a book sits in a funnel i think that just kind of closes that loop a little bit and and demonstrates the slightly bigger picture rather than just trying to put everything in a book and then just sending them a, a sales email yeah let's do this Stuart. let's let's sign off here but let's make a point to do the a future show about the size of the book too because we're saying size does matter but the other way smaller is better so um <laughs> So let's make that a, a topic. Yeah, for
<laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, we'll have to discuss that on the, on the next podcast. So. <laughs> the, right, that's the cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you, Stuart. I hope we've made the point that the piece, the point, the a lead generation book become can complement what you're already doing, but it also can be its own sales funnel in its own right. And you should give it some thought as to how you're both going to use both the hard copy of the physical copy of the book, if you will, and the electronic version. So thank you for this. Definitely. No problem at all. Uh, we've got the live Q&A call coming up in a, in a week or two. So if people want to send any questions to podcast at 90minutebooks.com, uh, we can definitely address those and we'll push out some details of the, of the call as and when it gets a little bit closer. All right. Thank you, Stuart.